the next section we get to look at is from Matthew chapter 3. This is all about something else that God says. Um, there's kind of going to be two mini-sermons today, just so you know where we're going. This is first of them. Okay? So, Matthew 3, 13 to 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee. That's northern Israel. He came to the Jordan, the Jordan River, to be baptized by John. But John, this is John the Baptist, tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and Jesus saw the Spirit of God, that's the Holy Spirit, descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well this is God's word. And the million dollar question for you is, why did Jesus get baptized? Why did he get baptized? John the Baptist couldn't even believe it. He said, no, 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 you're greater than me. You need, you need to baptize me. And Jesus said, no, I, I need to be baptized. Why? Well, the, the short answer is he benefited from his baptism. The long answer is this. The thing you need to know about baptism, most of all, more than any other thing, is that in baptism, it's God who's the one acting. It's God doing all the work. It's Him who's doing the moving and shaking. It's, it's God doing the creating and the strengthening and the promising. It's not the, it's not the person getting baptized. It's, it's not the person making a commitment or making a declaration about who they are and what they believe. In baptism, it is God doing the acting. You saw that because it, it said Jesus was baptized. And what happened? When Jesus was baptized, he didn't actually change. Two things happened. The Holy Spirit came down from heaven like a dove, and God the Father spoke. Baptism is all about God acting on us. God making promises. God making proclamations to us and for us. And this is exactly what happened here. It said, Jesus saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. So, first benefit Jesus got was that the Holy Spirit came down on him and gave him strength at his baptism. And the Bible actually never says that the Holy Spirit ever left Jesus. If you keep reading in Matthew, the very next verse, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. It says, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So one verse, he receives the Holy Spirit. The next verse, he goes into the desert, led by the Holy Spirit to be tempted. And he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in all those 40 days, Jesus never gave in to temptation. In part, because he received the benefit of the Holy Spirit at his baptism. And the Holy Spirit came to strengthen him. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Holy Spirit's job throughout the Bible is to create faith, strengthen faith, strengthen our faithfulness, give us strength to resist temptation, and instead do what God says. And that's what the Holy Spirit did for Jesus at his baptism. And the Holy Spirit was with Jesus throughout his life. The Holy Spirit gave Jesus power to do miracles, to heal diseases, to be patient with his disciples. Uh, throughout his whole life, the Holy Spirit was with him, strengthening him to do God's 
with. The Holy Spirit wings down, and, and I heard a pastor say this once, uh, the Holy Spirit coming down here, it's less like a pretty little gentle dove floating down on the breezes from heaven. Less like that. And this other pastor, he said, it's more like a dart, or more like a crazed pigeon. And I smile, I didn't say it, he said it. A crazed pigeon heading straight towards Jesus as quickly as he possibly could at his baptism to give him strength. Because that's what baptism is. Partially, it's the Holy Spirit coming to you to create faith or strengthen your faith and give you strength to do God's will. The Holy Spirit came winging down and then God the Father preached. An amazingly short but amazingly wonderful sermon. God the Father proclaimed. He said, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Jesus benefited from that as well. Because the next 40 days in the desert, the devil would say to him things like, if you are really the Son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Or in other words, if you are really the Son of God, you know, just bow down to me instead. And three years later, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, the people below his cross would say, if you are really the Son of God, prove it by bringing yourself down from the cross. And what could Jesus do? He could think back to his baptism when his father made a proclamation about him, and, and he could say to the devil, and he could say to those people, or he could think it, he could say, I don't need to prove anything to you. I don't need you to, to tell me who I am. I don't, I don't need to prove it to you. I know who I am. My father proclaims it at my baptism. I am his child. And that's exactly what God does at your baptism, too. He makes a proclamation. He makes a promise about who you are. Baptism is not simply a, a dedication or a christening or a symbol or a commitment on your part. No, it's God's commitment to you. It's God making a promise to you. It's God making a proclamation about you. A proclamation that he approves of you. But this is not a proclamation of approval like happens like at an NFL draft, for instance, or any professional sports draft. So I'm thinking of maybe 16 months from now. I'm not exactly sure when the NFL draft is. But 2021, NFL draft, number one pick, the head of the league standing up there and picturing him saying, and with the number one pick in the NFL draft, the Detroit Lions select from Clemson, Trevor Lawrence. Maybe that will happen. And if that happens, think about if you were Trevor Lawrence. He's the quarterback for Clemson, playing for the National Championship. Imagine you got picked number one. All the football players in America, and you got picked number one. That'd be pretty incredible. A wonderful proclamation of approval on you. But baptism is way better. Because the NFL draft, that, that's a proclamation based on you and your past performance and your future potential. Teams look at players and they say, well, how good was he on the field? How good of a teammate is he? What kind of potential do we think he has for the future? And, and if all those things line up, then we'll proclaim our approval of him by picking him to be on our team. Baptism isn't like that. Baptism is God's proclamation of approval for you, but it's not based on your performance at all. It has nothing to do with how you've performed in the past, or how you're acting in the present, or your potential for the future. God's proclamation of approval for you 
is totally based on someone else's performance for you. And that someone else is Jesus. God looks at you and says, you are my son, you are my daughter, whom I love. With you I am well pleased, completely pleased. He says that because his son Jesus has taken away all of your sin. And that's the best proclamation of approval there is because it doesn't depend on you. You can't mess it up. We need this proclamation more than anything else. We depend on it from God for a number of reasons. But one reason is that anxiety in our world and all times, both general anxiety, dare I say, we all struggle with that. And some of us, maybe many of us, struggle with clinical anxiety as well. And so we need a proclamation of approval that's not based on us. And that's what baptism is. We depend on it. So that when you look at your Instagram feed or your Facebook timeline and you see all these beautiful pictures of the beautiful families and the beautiful people doing beautiful things and it all looks so perfect. Or, or you look at uh, the other parents at your kid's school or you look at the people you work with or the people that you wish you worked at because surely they have better jobs and they have better lives than you. Or you look at anyone else you come into contact with and you think, oh, if only my life were like that. Remember God's proclamation about you. He says about you in the same exact way that he says about his own son Jesus. He says, you are my child whom I love. With you, I am completely pleased. I'd like to invite all the kids forward for the children's message. for all you kids. How do you become God's child? You've got, you've got a parent, or you've got two parents, or you've got grandparents, but how do you become God's child? And the answer is, yeah, that is. What do you think? Oh, he said you can't become God's child. You already are. That is, ooh, that's like 99.9%. That's awesome. And I, it is true. Uh, Tinley, you have an answer? How do you become God's child? Okay, okay. We'll work, we'll work on that. I'm not sure what you said. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, here's the answer. And you gave a fantastic answer. Here's the answer. You don't become God's child. God makes you his child. He makes you his child. You don't have to do anything. He makes you his child. And there's a couple ways that he does it. Sometimes he does it through when people tell you God's word. Like you hear, maybe you hear it at church, or maybe you hear it at home. You hear Jesus loves you, and he forgave all your sins. And then God puts faith in your heart, 
and you're God's child. That's one of the ways that he does it. There's one more way, though. And that's with the water in this bowl. Sounds kind of silly, but it's true. So, there's something that I was just talking about over there, and I was talking about baptism. And God says baptism is also one more way that he makes you his child. And it works just like this. Like if, if one of you were to be baptized today, I would take water and I would say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit that I would, I would put this water on your head. And it sounds silly, but it's a miracle. God says that when people do that, he works through his word he works through the water and he makes you his child. He puts faith in your heart or he strengthens your faith. Baptism is God's gift to you. In baptism, God is promising you, just like maybe your parent or your grandparent, before they put you to bed at night, they say, I love you. I promise. I really do. Baptism is God saying to you, I love you. I promise. I really do. So, Maybe go home today, or maybe even when you get back to your seat, ask uh, your mom or your dad or whoever brought you here today, ask them if you've been baptized. Because baptism is for everybody, even the youngest, the youngest of children. And the oldest of children. So ask them if you've been baptized, and if they, they can talk with you about it. And if you have any questions, you can always come and ask me. Okay? Let's pray and thank God for making us His children. Dear God, you are our Father. You love us. And you made us your children. Thank you for promising to always love us. Amen. Thanks for coming up, everybody. You can go back to your seat. Alright, so, so far in our service, pretty much we've talked about how we are dependent on God, for the most part, and what He says about us. In this section from Matthew chapter 5, and this whole next section is, is what God uses. And the Bible says that God uses us. Or you could say that he depends on us to do things in this world. And that's what we're going to hear about now. First of all, from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Um, especially the last verse, verse 16. See how God depends on us and what he does through us and our actions. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is God's word. The next section we're going to look at is 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 22. And in this short section, Paul, he is talking about his Christian freedom. 
and about how he uses his freedom to reach anyone and everyone in as many ways as possible. And I want you to watch, especially to the last verse again, because Paul says something, and it's not the way you would expect him to say it. You would expect the verb to have a different subject. Watch for that. You, you wouldn't expect him to say what he says. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 22. He says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people. And here it is. So that by all possible means, I might save some. Hold that thought. We're going to look right away at Romans chapter 10. Here's what else God says. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. And a Gentile is anyone in the world who's not Jewish. So there's no difference between anybody. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, he prophesied, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith in Jesus comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. This is all God's word. Now the question is, we asked, why was Jesus baptized before? Now the question is, how do you get faith? How do you become Christian? And there's two answers. Number one, we depend on God for it. We can't choose to get faith. We can't make a decision to get it by ourselves. We depend on God to give it to us. And he gives it to us through his word. That's what you just heard. Faith comes from hearing the message. So how do you become a Christian? How do you get faith? Depend on God to give it to you. And then part two, and this is the one that we talk about less. He depends on us because he gives people his word through other people. God depends on you and me to give his promises, to give his proclamations to all the other people in the world. He never promises to like missile it straight into people's hearts. He always promises to work through other people. You heard this in Romans chapter 10. It said, how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear unless anyone tells them? And Paul said, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. You'd expect him to say so that God might save them. But he said, so that I might save them. Because Paul is emphasizing the fact that God chooses to work, not just by himself, and zap faith and trust into our hearts, but he chooses to work through other people. He does this like when you 
tell your daughter who Jesus is. Or when your aunt tells you, or when you tell your neighbor, or your co-worker, this is God, in a sense, depending on you to tell someone else who Jesus is. Because Romans 10 says, how else are they going to know? And we, in turn, we depend on God. Because nowhere in the Bible does it say that I can create faith in someone's heart. Or that you can put faith into someone's heart. No, we get the privilege of speaking the good news, but it's all dependent on God to put faith in someone's heart. And this, this is incredibly good news. <laughs> Most of you, lots of you, you know Pastor Ken. And maybe you've wondered over the past eight months, maybe even 14 months, how could he leave? How could he leave this place? He's the only other pastor that this church has ever had. How could he leave? He's been here for six years. He has shepherded so many of you through so many things in your life, way more than anyone else could ever know. And maybe you ask, how could he leave? How could he move across the country and go to Seattle? How could he leave you? How could he leave this place? How could he leave this church? How could he leave this city where he, man, he had so many connections? He had proclaimed God's promises to thousands and thousands and thousands of people in many different ways. So many relationships. How could he leave? Same question goes to me. How could I leave? How could I leave my old church? where I also got to be a cross-country and track coach at the local high school. And through that, I knew hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids and their families intimately. And it might seem that I was those kids' only connection to Jesus. And they came to church sometimes just because I was their coach. And, and, and our whole family, like, we were just gaining traction. We were fitting in. And there were so many doors that were opening. And, and the church was ready to break ground in a brand new ministry center. Two weeks after we moved down here, you might ask, how could you leave? And the answer is so good. And as you think about moving around in your lives, the answer is because I'm not God. And you're not God. And no human is God. And maybe, oh, thank God that we're not. Thank God that he doesn't depend on us to put faith in people's hearts. Can you imagine if it were up to you? You would have to, you'd have to second guess every single interaction you've ever had with anybody in the whole world. Like every text you've sent, every comment you've made, you'd have to wonder, did I just mess up their eternity? I know many of you ask questions like, well, was it my fault that my daughter or my son, they don't believe in Jesus anymore? Is that my fault? The answer, because you're not God, God's God, the answer 100% of the time, no, it's not your fault. You are not to blame when someone else doesn't believe in Jesus anymore, even if you're their parent. Because God doesn't depend on you to create and strengthen faith in people's hearts. 
It only depends on you to tell them and show them his goodness. And what a blessing that is. And you, you and I, we get to wake up every single day like, thinking about the prospect. I could get to tell someone that Jesus loves them today. I could do that. What a privilege that is. Someone who doesn't know, someone who is racked with anxiety, who thinks no one loves them, and you could tell them, no, no, Jesus loves you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you feel guilty about, Jesus loves you. He died for you on the cross. God so loved the world. We talked about it all last month. You can tell someone that. You can wake up with your heart on fire burning every day with the prospect of telling someone that Jesus loves them. God lets you play a part in people becoming his children. And at night, you can rest easy knowing that God does not depend on you to create faith. He just gives you the privilege and the joy of telling people about you. God depends on us to speak his word, but I'm so thankful that as far as creating faith in people's hearts, it's all on Let's pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, coming to grips with our interdependence with you is a tough job. We either tend to just rely on ourselves for everything and, and think that we can just depend, be, be independent and do everything ourselves, and we put too much pressure on ourselves. Or we can go on the other direction and forget about the ways that you depend on us, the wonderful privileges and responsibilities that you give us as your people in this world to speak the good news to other people. So, give us the strength this morning, even still while we're here at church. Give us the strength to go up to someone we don't know, maybe we've never met, maybe it's their first time here, maybe it's their hundredth time here, but we don't know them. Give us the strength to go up to them, introduce ourselves, and shine our light into their lives. So, like your son Jesus said in Matthew 5, they might see our light and praise you in heaven for your love shining through Help us to embrace how you depend on us to do your work in the world and help us to lie in peace and comfort every night knowing that ultimately we depend on you to create and strengthen In your name, Heavenly Father, we pray. Amen. Now, we've heard by my count six different sections of God's word this morning. We've heard God's proclamation of approval on us, that he gave at Jesus' baptism and at ours, and he gives you it all the time, every weekend, every day, through his word. We've heard a lot of God's word and promises. Now our next song, we're going to respond to his word with the song, Build My Life. And essentially what this life is, what this song is, is us hearing all of God's promises and us saying in response, yes, God, give me the strength to build my life 